Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement Podcast. It is brought to you by the brand new Family Podcast Network. It is an honor to be on this startup venture with podcasters from all over the area and beyond. So please go to the Cheats Movement Podcast Network.com, sign up for the Family Podcast Network. It's going to be something that's very special for 2022. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, this is Cheats. I'm flying solo today. Gigi Broadway is not here. Our super producer is not here, not today. But let me tell you, I'm not going to waste your time. We are going into a very special conversation with the one and only Jesse Washington of The Undefeated. He has been one of my favorite writers uh, on culture, race, sports. He's been one of my favorites for years now, and it is an honor to have him, especially now, because Jesse has recently released within the last year, year and a half, an amazing, amazing book. I Came as a Shadow. It's the autobiography of John Thompson. He wrote it with Coach Thompson. He talks a little bit about that in the interview, and we talk about some other things that is related to his career, race, sports, culture, but a lot of uh, insight into the process of him uh, working with the late coach John Thompson of Georgetown University and Georgetown basketball. It's an amazing interview. I loved it. It's probably my favorite of the year. I've had a lot of them, but this one's probably my favorite. And with no further ado, Jesse Washington of The Undefeated. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is the Cheats Movement Podcast, and I am joined by a very, very special guest. Um, I have followed this brother's career for quite some time, and I didn't even know the depths of the way this brother has touched culture, hip-hop, sports, justice, since he was a, a extremely young man. Uh, this uh, it is an honor to talk to Jesse Washington of the Undefeated, but of so many more things as well. So Jesse, welcome to the program. Yo, what's up, man? It's great to be here. Thank you, man. Thank you. And 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 look, there's so many places that we could start. So I'm gonna start with the I think probably the most obvious and the biggest, um, not maybe not the biggest, but the most obvious starting point. And that is the autobiography with the late coach John Thompson, the legend. I came as a shadow. You were tapped to be the co-author of this book with one of the most legendary coaches of all time. And one of, just to be frank, not necessarily an open book, if you will. So how did you get tasked with this assignment and how did you feel when it became a reality for you? Whew, man, I'm still pinching myself. You know, it still almost doesn't seem real. Uh, how did I get it? Right dude at, at the right place at the right time. Uh, right black dude. John Thompson might use another word besides black dude. You know, <laughs> I mean, he came to a place in his life where he wanted to finally, finally set the record straight. And he had been so misrepresented and so stereotyped and so profiled over his whole career. He was like, all right, I'm going to put it down now. And he was looking for a writer and his people called some people who knew some of, you know, some folks over at ESPN and my name got thrown into the into the hat. Then I got to go do an interview. And then he said, all right, we're going to, you know, 
when I got the job, I didn't really have the job yet. You know, mm. I was in the game, but I could have been subbed out in a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have been kicked off the team if it wasn't really going right. So after a few months, when he got some confidence that I could tell his story the way he wanted it told, that's when we really got down to business. So, so let me let me even ask this: How do you go into those situations knowing that it's tenuous, but this could be as somebody with your background of understanding what Georgetown meant, no, understanding what George, John Thompson meant, understanding what hoops meant to the to to the whole landscape how do you approach even those initial meetings did you know coach john beforehand or how to go never, how'd you I had go never into met it? the man yeah i had never met the man so i went in and really man there's so many basketball parallels you know i'm a hooper and i'm a competitive person so i knew that i had what it took i knew i could kill it i knew that there was nobody who could do it better than me just because it meant so much to me and what he did and what he represented I felt it deep down, you know, and, and and so I knew I was the one, but I was still, I had butterflies. I'm not embarrassed to admit it. You know, I had butterflies the same way I did before I played in a big game. Sometimes, I mean, if I'm going to hoop with somebody, even to this day in my old and broken down state, and I know that there's going to be somebody there that I'm competitive with, right. who, who it's going to, they might get the better of me, but I think I'm going to get the better of them. I have butterflies for that crazy it may sound so I was nervous but I knew that I could do it and so I was confident and I was I was aggressive with it you know and coach Thompson said I don't want to write a book about basketball this is our first meeting and I said that's good because if you did I wouldn't want to write it mm. you know he also said um uh, what makes you think you could write my book you haven't done anything like this before you know so he came at me um in a coach-like fashion and then his son JT3 was there and he said Why'd you wear Adidas to this meeting? You know we're a Nike family. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had all the right. top tens. Right. You know, I had the Adidas polo, and you can't wear the Adidas polo with the Nike shoes. No, Anybody no, knows that don't do work. It. Yeah. So he's like, "Why you wear that to you know over here?" And I said, Psh, "I'm size 13, Coach. You know, there you go. I know you <laughs> oh, on the board of directors oh. at Nike. It ain't nothing but a thing. I'm size 13. Fast oh, forward man. to now, they're about to drop these Georgetown." ones mm-hmm. and they may or may not be en route to the crib right hey, now through the so. postal service I so you know so. that's that's where we're at so that's how i got the gig man that's what it was like it was it was a challenge man it wasn't people were like oh you must have had so much fun i was like it's not fun you know it's a great challenge it was a tremendous experience it was work mm-hmm. you know it was it was pressure and coach thompson said on many occasions jesse he would look me dead in the eye we have to get this right Mm-hmm. And we did, man. This was history. And he passed away before the book came out. And he probably knew that. That's why we had to get it right. So that was, you know, a little bit of the experience of writing. I was going to ask because your people sometimes know themselves. And like you said, if the right time comes, Coach Thompson probably said, hey, look, we got this shot. We have to get this right. You're the man for the job. Did you have any inkling that? Uh, health-wise, he, he was he was suffering or wasn't doing well. Like, did you think that this was also kind of the last shot we have to tell this story, right? You know, Coach was a private guy, and he kept his health very, mm-hmm. very private up until the end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess suffice it to say that I knew what was at stake and how important it was, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the Thompson family, and, and I really have to give a lot of credit for everything about this book, 
him deciding to do it, choosing me, the way it came out, down to the title of the book. I credit his three children, mm. Tiffany, Ronnie, and John the Third. And so they let me behind the curtain. Mm. Coach Thompson let me behind the curtain. And um, I hope that I earn that trust. And I still feel that I still have to earn it in the way I represent him. So, you know, uh, I was familiar with what was going on with Coach Thompson. And we all definitely knew uh, what we were doing with this book. And it's and the interesting thing and the amazing thing about this book is I, I read a lot. I try to be an avid reader and I'm, I'm a huge uh, sports kind of those sports books from legendary coaches or about legendary teams is something I will never forget. I never this is probably embarrassing to say, but I never read a book by like choice in high school until I graduated high school and I read the Fab Five by Mitch Album. And that book, man, a terrific what, book. what a book. But you have done, and I remember I couldn't put it down. I, and it just got me through this journey of learning about these college basketball teams. And what you've done with this book is exceeded so much. I have people coming to me and being like, yo, you got to read this Thompson book. And I was like, I read it, bro. I read the book already. <laughs> oh, thank but, you, man. But people tell That's me terrific. out of every genre of life, not just Hoopers, not just people that you would think would be interested, they've all picked this book up. And I think one of the reasons is, is because there was so much misunderstanding around Coach throughout his entire career. And if somebody got access to get behind the curtain and tell those stories, and you told so many of them is there something that you learned i'm sure there's a lot but there's something that you learned throughout his career at georgetown where you as a hoop fan remember that team remember that game remember that instance but it's like man i never saw it that way oh yeah man shoot i mean it was amazing how much now uh so first of all big up for becoming a late in life reader you know like that's that's tremendous <laughs> I'm at like, it now. I you know, yeah. like, that's what's I up. Like that's that's terrific. That's great. You oh, know? That's and so me, I was the kid. We didn't have a television growing up. Oh, and so word. one of the first things I ever watched on television, period, was championship game, Georgetown versus North Carolina. Oh. I guess that was 84 yeah. or 83. Yeah. And I was like, man, I got to see this game. Now, I was a reader. I read the newspaper. My grandparents got me subscription to Sports Illustrated. So I knew what was going on. I was like, man, I got to see this game. And so across the hall in our projects, we were apartment 10J. They were apartment you know, 10F or whatever. And my neighbor had a little black and white TV about the size of this computer monitor that I'm looking into. Right. And she let me come over and watch the game. Oh, and man. So, so, so I was... So that tells you, you know, my relationship with Georgetown. Also, I was a reader. I mm -hmm. read everything about Georgetown, oh, everything. Wow. Oh, wow. And there was stuff that I had no idea because they didn't want to tell you. Who knew that his two biggest coaching influences was Red Auerbach and Dean Smith? They didn't want you to know that sure. because then it would be like, oh, okay. So all this stuff that we're criticizing coach about being in control, keeping the media out of practice, he got it from them. Right. <laughs> you know, so that was one big thing I learned. I mean, we did a lot of the interviews, almost all the interviews at the Georgetown basketball office. Okay. The coach of Georgetown is Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing, yeah. We saw, we saw him all the time. The nicest guy ever. 
every time Patrick Ewan walked past where we were working, he would stick his set head in. And a lot of times I would be there ahead of coach. I'm getting ready. I'm getting prepared. And he'd be like, hey, Jesse, how you doing? What's up? Nice. And then he'd wait for an answer. You know, and this is Patrick. <laughs> All right. Hall you of know, Fame, a, dream team member, yeah, Pat Ewing, man. 85 champion. Yeah, yeah. He got better oh, things to do than kick it with Jess, you know, but that's the type of considerate guy he is, as coach reveals in his book. Mm-hmm. Everybody saw Patrick Ewing and thought he was a monster, a thug, a bad person, stupid, unintelligent, all that stuff. And so coach peeled back those layers and I saw it. I saw the relationship that they had, man, the interactions that they had. It was a beautiful thing. And so it just goes on and on the the pers- the new perspective that I got. And coach kept things hidden on sure. purpose. Sure. You know, on purpose. I never knew that uh you know, all the stuff about his kids and everything. And, and, and so it was just, um, and, and that was one thing that he really didn't want to touch in the book. And I, that was like pulling teeth. Mm-hmm. I would ask like, I would ask a question about his, one of his children or something to do with his family. He would give me the briefest of briefest of answers. Mm-hmm. And then he would say, all right, Jesse, that's enough about my family. What else Ooh. you got? <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> that's crazy. Um, but, you know, he did open up about how he felt about his son, John, coaching, which we have never yeah. heard before. And about his how he felt about his son getting fired from Georgetown, which we have never heard before. And so, you know, just I learned so much. I got so much perspective. There's stuff that I still apply to my work right now in terms of what I learned from him. It was just an amazing experience. It's John Thompson. Right. I got to spend two years talking to John Thompson. I still can't really believe it happened. Now, do you have a favorite Georgetown era? You mentioned going over your neighbor's house to watch that that national championship game. I'm from Virginia, so you know you know where I'm going with this. Uh, AI, both baby. Alonzo Mourning and then uh, the Iverson uh, getting, you know, Iverson going to Georgetown. Or, or yeah. I was in my, like, hoop life. Like, I was living hoops in 96. So, yeah. um, you know, the Jordan 11s on the Georgetown – the paddle is still my favorite shoe to this day. Uh, I, you know, but but that was the Iverson, and then the sophomore year when they uh, they bought in Victor Page. But do you have a? Do you have a? Yeah. So my favorite, era? Era, yeah, my favorite era is when they went to the final four three years in a row because, you know, obviously the basketball, but it's hard. Like the whole culture was different then. Sure. Let's start with hip hop. Hip hop was disrespected disgusted everybody hated on us like it's not they it was like not even music and that was the black people right this is the congress they all criminals lock them up shoot black folks yo like new york city the birthplace of hip-hop see i'm about to be on one yo you got me started (laughs) like now hip-hop is everywhere you go to the arena they're playing it the artists of course bruh in the 80s City, they wouldn't play hip hop on the radio except on Friday and Saturday night. Nice. Mr. Magic and Red yeah. Alert, and then you know, for three hours only, nine to twelve. Other than that, it was Freddie Jackson and Luther Vandross. No disrespect to them, but yo, like, what's here for us? And Georgetown was so hip hop, dog. They were so hip hop. The attitude, the in your face, that we don't care what you're doing. We coming at you getting disrespected everywhere. Like they were so hip hop before Jordan, they made us wear the, the dunks with the, with the Hoyas on the heel. I mean, the, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, okay, calm down, Jess. <laughs> no, I love it. I love Usa, it. I love Usa. it. I love so, it. So that's my error. Like that's, that's amazing. My, that's my error. And then John Thompson to have a black man in charge who took nothing from nobody. And when they stepped to him, he was he was like he could handle anything and anybody. And so that's my error. You know, I love the Alonzo era. I love the AI era. Obviously, that's incredible. And and let's not forget, this is not an exaggeration. Nowadays, everybody, it's like the word literally is in fashion right now, right? Sure. Everybody, literally this. Okay. Literally, most of the time it's misused. Literally, if John Thompson had not put Allen Iverson on his team at great risk to himself and his sure. program and his reputation, sure. we would not know who that dude is. Allen Iverson will be another urban legend like he'd be an urban legend like like in Virginia. He he would be that dude who they were like, oh my goodness, he would have been one of the greatest ever, but he was a playground dude who only you know did this and that. John Thompson, it's not an exaggeration. No, and it's it's it's, uh, it was one of those things where so uh, obviously VA has has his share of of hoopers and and athletes and and people more than his share, especially from that from that area. But there, we but just like everywhere else, we have the what could have been stories as much as we have the what what happened stories, right? Yep. And yep. so, if it wasn't for a handful of things, um, former Governor Wilder at the time didn't win yep. any friends, right? Didn't win any friends as being the first black governor. We haven't had a black governor since. <laughs> um, and and then obviously Coach Thompson taking him in. Um, there there that that. I will never forget, and I don't want to get on a tangent either. But um, games that you said you had to go, you had to see games that you had to see. I think it had to be '96 if it's Iverson's sophomore year. If you remember, they opened that season in the Garden against Georgia Tech that had mm-hmm. a freshman named Stephon Marbury. Who Marbury brings his whole brings all of Coney Island. <laughs> Come to on. the guard <laughs> and Iverson's like okay okay <laughs> and he knew he had Victor Page he knew he had big fellow Othella they had uh Jerome Williams on that team I think Junkyard Dog and um yeah. and they had Marbury and Barry they had some players but I've never seen anything like this the guard garden was on fire before the game started they jumped tip and the first yeah. time Iverson brings the ball down on Marbury standing ovation the next time down, Marbury brings the ball on Iverson. Or one way, it could have been vice versa. But when they both bought the ball down on each other, both times standing ovation. And then Iverson went on to wreck him because he was <laughs> he was the sophomore. He had the experience. He had the big game atmosphere and had the better team. I, and, and I'll never forget they said, because, you know, Marbury has like, you know, 50,000 family members, like all of them in New York. They said the brothers were so mad, the Marbury brothers. <laughs> were so mad by the end of the second half that they 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 left the game cussing at the Georgia Tech bench because Iverson was giving them the business. Yo, that's a great it's story. Insane. It's that's insane. That, that reminds me of when Coach said, so they got this Kenner League at Georgetown, which was the big time. In D.C., that was the league that everybody played in the summer. Okay. You know, all the best college guys. It was, it was the top thing. Named after a black man, by the way, Jabbo Kenner read about him in the book. And so AI has just got out of prison. He's been locked up. He's finally coming to Georgetown. And he said his first game in the Kenner League, this is before the internet, 
mm-hmm. Coach Thomas was like, you couldn't get in the gym. The word had gone out. Ooh. Everybody had come to Ooh. see this dude. He said, and he specifically said, he had all his boys up there from Virginia, and Ooh. they were ready to let the world know, our man AI is back. <laughs> man, <laughs> you know? that's crazy. That yeah, it's crazy. awesome. He also said that AI was the first player he ever had he, who showed up on campus with a tattoo. Yeah. And I mean, just, yeah. just I, yeah. I mean, and now you got high school kids with tattoos. You, you know have all the high school kids <laughs> because of AI. Yeah, I because think of I, AI. I think I think at first I was a little concerned, um, a little bit about Georgetown and a little bit about Iverson himself, that they would never find the proper context and what to yeah. explain their legacies in. But what people didn't know about John Thompson is the depths of this man and how he has a the highest degree of emotional intelligence that I've ever encountered. And so he understood, not only did he understand how to mentor and coach and nurture a, a young man like Allen Iverson with everything that he had been through, he sought that out. He wanted to do that. People, one of the things I found out in this book is that Coach Thompson never wanted to be a coach. He wanted to be a teacher right. and was basically, right. he quit playing pro ball after getting two rings with the Boston Celtics and Bill Russell and Red Auerbach and was a social worker working with kids who had just got out of jail. It reintroduces them to society like AI. That's and so he knew exactly how to, how much rope to give this kid and how to, how to bring him back and how to, how to get with him. One more quick story about yeah, this, which shows like yeah. why he was the perfect person for this. So Coach Thompson told me, so he's famous for, for his profanity, famous yeah. for his profanity. When I knew that I was behind the curtain, that I had the job, was when he started calling me MF. <laughs> you know? Right of so, passage. Right. And so AI said, uh, I asked Coach Thompson, I was like, yo, you know, like, so how did this whole thing get started with the profanity? He said, man, when I... When I was in college, even when I was in the NBA, profanity was not part of my vocabulary at all. And then I, I became a social worker and I started working with these kids coming out of prison. And, you know, not all of them, but some of them, they're not going to listen to you if you're like, um, excuse me, Johnny, will you please get off that desk? Mm. They're not going to listen to you. I'm going to get off that desk. <laughs> you know? right. And he said that's where his profanity started. Fast forward, when AI came up and his mom brought AI to Georgetown's campus and was like, please, Coach Thompson, will you take my son? Nobody else is going to coach him. And Coach Thompson was like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work. And she, Mrs. Iverson, asked everyone else to leave the room and looked John Thompson in the face and said, Coach, if you don't take him, they're going to kill him. Mm-hmm. So he was like, wow, that really hit me in the heart. Let me talk mm-hmm. to the boy. According to AI, he said in that first meeting with John Thompson, he has never been called MFR more times <laughs> than he was in that first meeting with Coach wow. Thompson. You wow. know, so like he was the perfect guy. And a lot of people seem that there's like a a, a dissonance in the image, you know, like, oh, you got AI, braids, tatted sure. out, whatever, and John Thompson straight laced and all that. But John Thompson was not afraid to be who he was. And John Thomas was like, I am a proud black man. And if you don't like who I am and how I present myself to the world, I don't care. And so in some ways, he instilled that in AI, that confidence to be who he was and allowed AI to just change the whole paradigm of 
of basketball. And so, you know, I mean, it's yes. it's just amazing that these two men cross paths and one without the other, they both created each other's legacy. Jesse, that's a great, great story, a great point, and actually a great transition to what I want to ask you next. Because you have been able, and you can tell me when this, this happened or it may have always been the case, but you have been able to write and put work out into for everyone to read. That is unapologetic. Unapologetic you, unapologetic Black. Um, and obviously at the Undefeated, you found a home that, that fosters that and wants that. But you've been writing for a long time. You've been winning awards for a long time. You've been getting bylines for a long time. And a lot of those spaces, especially if we're talking about hip hop, you're able to, to kind of be that, that, that unapologetic writer, but it's still in that box. You were saying it's like, oh, hip hop's pushing the boundaries. When do you feel like you found your groove as a writer to express your views unapologetically and be able to touch race, culture, hip hop, and all the things that you, you touch down at the undefeated and beyond? But it's, it's not easy, and you've been able to, I feel, master it and come into your own. It was How did that come about? Man, I really enjoy that question, and nobody's asked me that before. Um, I still don't feel like I've, I've fulfilled everything I can do. I still haven't found that perfect recipe. You know, so I'm still trying to master and continue to master my craft. But um, I'm going to go back to, you know, I came up in the newspaper era and it's a whole different thing. And I was usually the only black person in the room or at the paper. And then I also came up with the Associated Press for a good bit of time. And so that tries to strip all of the, you know, personality out of something. But that really taught me to rely on the facts and to start with that foundation and then you can build on it. A pivotal moment in my career was when I was out of college, first job, 92, Detroit, Michigan, working for the Associated Press. And uh, there was a brother working for the Detroit News at the time. His name is Daryl Dawsey. Shout to my dude, Daryl Dawsey. Um, for those who know from back then, you know, tremendously talented dude in the game, worked at all the biggest papers and pissed everybody off at all the biggest papers. It was like, you know, I mean, a legend. Wow. And Daryl Dawsey had a column in the Detroit News and it was called Buck Wyland. <laughs> G at the end of Wyland. And there was a picture of him like, and I was like, oh, and it something clicked. I was like, and then I read the column and it was Daryl being Daryl. Daryl's a wild boy from the east side of Detroit. Mm. And I was like, oh, snap. This is a black man writing as a black man. I, I can do this. So, this can, this can, can happen. Right, this can happen. And then at the same time, I was reading the Source magazine. Okay. And the Source came before Vibe. And the original OG Source, Reggie Dennis, mm -hmm. James Bernard, mm -hmm. Chris Wilder, Maddie C, mm -hmm. um, Rob Marriott, like I was soaking that up. And that had a voice and a swag and a style. And so all these things were sort of percolating me and made me try to go after it. So when did I find my voice? When I didn't find it was in mm -hmm. my first assignment for the Source magazine. So I was like, oh, I'm finally at the Source. Yeah, right. I get to, yeah, I'm gonna I'm a go hard. And I wrote this and, and the article was embarrassingly over the top hip hop. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Word, blah, 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 you know, like, 
and 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 my homegirl Karen Amayo, who edited that piece, she's tired of me thanking her over the years for editing the idiocy out of that piece, and just and you know, all right, Jess, okay, we sure. get it. You're happy to be at the source. <laughs> calm down, calm down. But you got to understand, back then, the outlets for us to be published with our authentic selves were sure. few and far between. Mm -hmm. So this is part of the process, man. And so every now and then I started to, I'm working at the AP, but I would get a column off in Essence Magazine, or I would do some work for the source. And I and and these platforms, black platforms, started to be, let me get my reps in. And I started to work at Vibe. And then really it all came together and, and at the undefeated. Wow. And the undefeated just wow. really being sort of the, uh, um, the the apex of everything coming together in terms of my experience sure. it all comes from the reporting i'm older now i'm a little bit wiser i have more perspective i have more freedom and so that's where i can really do my thing so i am proud i've i've uh if you play baseball sometimes when you get a nice hit sometimes just the feel of the ball coming off the bat knows sure. that you got a hold of it i've got a couple pieces like that with the undefeated you know i fouled some of them off I've you know grounded out to shortstop with some other ones, but I'm still trying to get to that level of consistency where I can really do that. Um, and all of the young people who listen to this now and all the people who are writing and expressing themselves in other forms, man, now is really a golden age of black expression in the media. And um, the, some of the people who I mentioned, The Source Magazine, Daryl Dawsey, Kieran Mayo, Nelson George, Greg Tate, uh, Dream Hampton, you know, all of these journalists who really sort of carved that lane out for us to be us in that hip hop generation, you know, shout to them, Rob Kenner, who's not black, but still taught me so much about how to be a magazine writer. Um, Carter Harris, Danielle Smith, Elliot yeah, Wilson, so you know, many. like uh, that era has really, that's the foundation for what we're allowed to do today. You mentioned Greg Tate. And my man put me on uh, Village Voice. Um, and my man put me on later in life. So I had to go back and read his reviews. He, you know, he's printing it off to like collections of like all of these Village Voice reviews. Brilliant. And Brilliant. It's even for me. And I, I could, I, I've immersed myself into this type of journalism culture now. And even still today, Greg Tate hits things that I'll be like, huh. Well, how, oh, did get, how did he get there? And, yeah, and, and, and you've been brilliant. able to do so much. I, I, you know, it's, Let I me know. mention one more. Oh, Let yeah, me yeah, mention yeah, one yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. Because I got to pay respect to the OGs. In Absolutely. Absolutely. Havelock Nelson. Oh. You know, Havelock Nelson, The Death of Rhythm and Blues is a seminal book about Black music. If you want to understand anything about Black music, if you call yourself a critic in this space, get The Death of Rhythm and Blues so you can understand how we got to where we're at right now. Where really, uh, I would argue there is no such thing as R&B anymore. It's all hip hop. Even right. the dudes who sing, right. it's all hip hop. Right. So so anyway, continue though. No, I like it, I like it. And, and, and I'll put a bow on what you were saying because the byline, I, it's almost like a golden age of what, what you guys have created and put together at The Undefeated. Uh, if you look at byline after byline after byline, just impressive writer after impressive writer after impressive writer um it is fulfilling the space that its goal of that intersection of race and culture and sports it's all of that when you look at 
um, the undefeated as a, as a whole. And obviously I know you're proud to be there and you're doing great work there. Do you feel like uh, given the writers that you have, the space that you're covering, is there a way to, do you think it's reached the, the place that it needs to be in kind of the public dialogue? Like the, you know, the, 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 we do it, the walking down the street test, like, man, you see that piece on the undefeated the other day? Like, do you think it's gotten there yet? Yo, amazingly, it has, you know, and, and here's the test. Uh, I'm out in Minneapolis covering the Derek Chauvin trial. Mm -hmm. I go to George Floyd Square. I figure out who the orchestrator and one of the, even though it's a community space or certain community leaders, and I'm not going to roll up in your hood and act like I own the spot. That's how I do my work. And so, okay. And and there was a, a powerful, powerful sister out there. Her spirit is powerful. Her activism, her, her support for her community is powerful. Marsha Howard. Mm. And I introduced myself. He's like, oh, yeah, the undefeated. Got I know y'all. Yep. I know y'all. Wow. <laughs> and and um, I was in, uh, I was at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Mm. Roll up on my man, Jeff Capel, who's an assistant coach for the, for the, for the basketball team. Former coach introduced of VCU in Richmond. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Shout, shout to Coach Capel. Um, introduced myself. Just want to talk about this and that. Oh, yeah, the undefeated. Yeah, yeah, I know y'all. So we have, you know, um, shout to Kevin Merida, who really mm -hmm. came in and, and, and his leadership and vision uh, and, uh, and journalism chops. And out the gate, Kevin Merida was like, no, 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 we're more than a website. We're not just going to be writing stories. Right. And so now here we are five years later with, you know, TV specials, yeah. Barack Obama, you know, at, at a black college, Phenomenal. Al albums. You know, yeah. uh, you uh, I know. got the, I got the children's book. Me and my me yeah, and my child. Me and I got a seven year old son. We go through the the, the fierce forty four. Is it? I think word yeah. word. Yeah. And so so yeah, I do think that we have got to that point, but I don't think that we've reached our full potential. I'm tremendously proud. Our new leader, Raina Kelly, has some real big things in store. So after our new next year, big things. Big things go on with the undefeated scene. And I'll come back on your podcast and talk about it. We we got to. We got to. Jesse, I got a couple last things to get you out of here because we can't get you out of here without talking a little bit of sneaker culture, a little bit of hip hop. Cause I know we could we could do it yes, all day. Sir. Yes, but we'll sir. close Let's it out. Go. But I we, we talked about it a little bit right before we came on the air. Um, I knew Bounce magazine from Bobito Garcia. I I've had the honor to have him on the show a couple times. Uh, amazing guy. I hope he has a cell phone now because Cool Bob Love never had a cell phone. <laughs> Yo, I Man, know. bro. You remember, you remember when Rizzo was Bobby Digital? Yeah, I used to call Bobito Analog Bob. <laughs> Man. It was, I mean, I will tell you, the truth of the Bro. He's the last person in New York to use a payphone, bro. I didn't even, I didn't know him. I was just, I was going to interview him for the Doing in the Park uh, documentary yep. that he released, his first movie. And he, we, we set up an interview and it got a little bit crazy. And he looks at I me, mean, he's on the phone with me and he goes, cheats, right? I'm like, yeah, it's cheats. And he's like, look, I don't have a cell phone. If I say <laughs> I'm going to be somewhere, I'm going to be there. He's like, don't basically don't waste my time. Meet me at Tillery Park at this time. Let's go. And Tillery. Was, oh, he said Tillery Park. Yeah. Yo, I he knew was, I loved you, bro. He was there. I knew I loved you. He was there. And I got this whole interview and play. He played some hoops and everything. And it was, but 
but yeah, I hope you got a cell phone now. My thing is, um, I didn't know your involvement with Bounce until I read your bio, even in detail. Tell me about the intersection of New York City street hoops and sneakers, because, and I, you know what, it just came to me, I should have known, because you're in the the ESPN sneaker Bobito show, right? Hooping, uh, you're hooping at like a street ball tournament and all of that. You're on camera. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. so oh, yeah. tell me about yeah, the no intersection doubt. for you of sneakers and hoops. Oh, man. Shoot. My sneaker story starts with um, a pair of jocks, J-O-X. <laughs> what, that, what is that? Right, what is that? Exactly. <laughs> what, is what is that? That my were my mom's shoes, and I had to wear them all one summer. Ugh. So, and, and then in high school, I'm trying to get my hoop on, right. and I had on the Olympians from Favor. All my New York OGs remember Favor. It was the pay less of his day, and the Olympians. This is what the stripes on the Olympians look like. It was a Puma stripe, and then two Adidas going over the Puma stripe. One on the top, nice. and one under the bottom. That's of the amazing. Puma so that's, that's how I was getting down. So I was like, yo, if I ever, please, Lord God, <laughs> if I ever get some money, I will allow me to keep my feet fresh at oh all times. Goodness. And it gave me a complex. It gave me, and so now I have this problem. <laughs> you still hold this yeah. problem today? Yeah, I am. I, I admit yeah. okay. My name is Jesse Washington. You know, <laughs> hey, shout to Nas. I'm an addict for sneakers. Hey, <laughs> you know. There you go. So, so just like, Bob's book, Where'd You Get Those? Bobita yep. wrote a book, Where'd You Get Those? Any sneakerhead has to get this book because it stops at the first Air Jordan. Right. That's the end of the book. There's a whole history before that that Bob was a part of and lays out and that I grew up in, which is just how Black and Puerto Rican kids took sneakers and flipped it into something that meant something else. And it was about originality and style and culture. And it was, and it really came from the relationship that basketball had right. and b-boying. And like this alchemy happened, man, and starting in New York City, but not limited to New York City. And this alchemy happened. And from then on, basketball and hip hop and sneakers were fused and you can't separate them anymore. And now we see where it's at now. I'm almost to the point, bro, where I'm like, I'm a little, and I know like I'm old now, so I don't want to be, sure. you know, that get off my lawn dude on my front porch, but. <laughs> here, gotta, here we go, here we go. Yeah, now let me fall back, man. Shout to all the young people who are doing what they do. But <laughs> I got one question, I got one question. Everybody has a shoe, how can it be hot? If anybody can get it, how can it be hot? Like, I just don't understand that. So here's the thing that stands out to me from the difference of, like you were saying, generations and eras and so forth. Right. Even, so with, with Bob's book and, and what you're talking about, it was like, yo, let me get these shoes and let me figure out how to freak them and how to change the laces. And Bob was talking about taking um, erector sets and, and cutting down, <laughs> and cutting out the swoops. Yeah. And so people would be like, Yo, I've never seen that, or I've exactly. never seen it worn in that Thank way. You. Yes. Flash forward to now what 92, 93, even mm -hmm. with Wu was like, we gonna take the Clarks, but I'm a dot of front blue. <laughs> like Ghostface is like, I'm a dot of front blue bow, and then I'm had a black, this dark green. And people are like, what? But it was so nobody did what they did with the Clarks. Right. I think this generation, 
I'm not as um, worried about the access, but it's the nobody is going to take that, you know, I don't know, Travis Scott Air Force One, and they're not going to freak it. They're not going to do something, or if they, they do. They don't even want to walk in it. You see how they walk in their sneakers <laughs> so they don't get creased? They tiptoeing around in the shoe. No. To, to, but like, they don't bro, res- like, there's no respect you, in that part. You know what? You brought up something. You, you sparked something, and that's a that's a dead-on observation that you just said. And here's, here's I think, where, where it starts to bother me. What you just <laughs> described was us making it hot. Right. Now the sneaker companies are manipulating us by limiting the supply in order to make it hot. And so they're in control. We were in control before. And now I feel to a certain extent we are being controlled by the sneaker companies who manipulate the false sense of scarcity in in order to um, keep it rolling. I had a really interesting conversation. You know, I got I got. I got a, my oldest son is 22 and he's a fly dude, man. I mean, he, you know, <laughs> he knows what's up. And we were talking about the Kobe's and how uh, Vanessa Bryant is like, you know, uh, there's no more Kobe's out because right. she, you know, right. and, and, and one of her issues was she wanted more of them to be available. And my son was like, yeah, but I mean, if anybody could get them, then they won't be hot. And Mar- I really Mar- have Marbury curse. Of, yeah. The Marbury yeah. curse. You know? I do have a pair of Marbury's for the record. I, so here's the 14. thing. $14.99, baby. You got the, ori- you got the original Stephen Berry Nick ones? Or do you have like, because they did, if you remember, yes. if you remember, they did like a sports shoe, but they also did like, like a suede, like regular casual, like an, almost like a New Balance type shoe. No, I got the, I got the high top. Oh, well, I man. got the one that Steph, that, that Steph wore in the NBA. And let me right. tell you this. It, and I, and uh, it feels like, and I love it. It was like so counter revolutionary subversive move to undercut everybody. Yeah, I'm gonna have shoes that's hot in the hood that cost $14.99. So I so respect that. I bought it, I supported it. They feel like a pair of wet paper towels wrapped around it's your awful. foot. It's <laughs> awful. But that's why you yeah. should have went the yeah. we should have went the other way. We should have went with the uh with the, like the new balance, like casual joints that because they had them at right. the same time. And you they can't should've. even find those other joints now. Like those are so scarce now right. that it's amazing. All right, right. last they thing, should... Jesse. Appreciate yes, it. We're gonna get you out of here. Um, yes, sir. And I think I know where you're going. I, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but I, I don't uh, want to assume because obviously your career has been intersected with hip hop music. We've already talked in this interview about how much uh, it means to you. Where are we now when we come to hip hop, mu- the actual music? Um, and can you listen to new stuff? Like I said, if I'm talking about Beto Garcia, he's like, I listened to nothing new since 1992. <laughs> Yo, Bob is a hater, man. Right. Bob is a but do you? I love you, Bob. Bob told me, Bob said to me once, period, point blank, he's like, there's nothing at all that anybody's doing now that's at all original. And I don't agree with that. So, okay, yeah. so, so where, where are, are you now? now? Okay, so you see what I got behind me. I see. So I'm still, you know, it's I'm 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 trying not to I'm trying to find the good in everything. That's how I live my life, man. You got to find there's good in everybody and everything, even dudes who can't rap. Okay. <laughs> of which okay. there are plenty of them now. There were dudes who couldn't rap before. There were dudes who made catchy little songs that are classics. Rob Bass cannot rap. Oh, I got an ego. Yo, that's not 
that's that's like the mumble rap of 1987. But the beat was banging, it and was, it was simple it was. and catchy. It was. And it, it was. takes two as a classic. So where am I now? I think there's a lot of good music being made, man. Okay. I think that these young brothers, like the 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 musicality, is more accessible to everybody now, so that you don't have to get a hustler to put up studio money sure. to make music. So the accessibility is wonderful. I think there's tons of of talent out there, um, tons of dudes who can really, really rap. I'm partial to dudes who rap, who right. put things together in a cool way that um, that is is creative and artistic and might even be saying something. You know, it's funny, man. I was going, and, and I'll bring it back to my son Coltrane again. Um, you know, he's a college basketball player. He loves NBA Youngboy. He's 22 years old. You know, I never really got into NBA Youngboy, but I was going down on a road trip and, and I was going to see him. And on the way, I was listening to the infamous album, Mob Deep. Right. You know, rock you in your face, stab your brain with your nose bone. Right. You know, classic lines. And then I went on a little little jaunt with my son. I was like, yeah, man, throw on some of what you listen to. And he's got the NBA young boy on there. I'm listening to it. And he stops the the his phone and he's just like, but dad, did you hear what he said? Like, and I can't remember what the lyric was, but he's like, mm. who says that? Like the way he said that, that was crazy. And then it clicked in for me that you know these dudes like their generation it's for them and it right. and it resonates with them and if i liked it it wouldn't be hot to them oh, now my son and i do have certain okay. certain okay. artists that we both like yeah. we both like ken we both like kendrick kendrick and cole you, know? you did the cole piece right That's he likes some of my he likes some of the old school stuff you know as well he'll he'll rock with a nas he'll rock with the roots you right. know and, and then but so I think that there's a lot of great artists now, man. I do. I think there's a lot, and even the cats who are, you know, Travity Trap, you know, and and sing song and all that. Like, I'm not mad at that, man. Hip hop has taken over. It's yeah. where we're supposed to be. Everybody, it's the, you know, it's the, it is the soundtrack of America and the world. When they said, when I grew up, they said it wasn't even music. So I love it, man. I love it. I support it. Even the ones who can't rap, if y'all gonna make some hits I, off it, then uh, that's great. I where, where are you greatness, at? I think greatness transitions, is what I think, and and, and what I mean by that is, um, for whatever reason, like if you look at, <clears throat> if you look at Willie Mays highlights, or if you look at defense of Brooks Robinson at third base, or if you look at a Muhammad Ali or Joe Frazier highlight today, you still know that those guys can go like, you know what I mean? Like I, I know basketball is a little bit different in the sense of the athleticism and the speed, but you're not going to tell me that Magic Johnson couldn't play today. Right. Like I think Michael Jordan, like the one, the interesting thing about Jordan is he's one of the first basketball athletes that I, I can actually remember where there was no debate in any era. Could he have played? Like there, you know, there's some folks that might even say, Wilt Wilt might not be Wilt today or something like that. But when it came to Jordan, <laughs> it was this, like, nobody ever says like, oh, Jordan couldn't hang today. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just that level of, and so when ah, I think, do, when I think yep. of hip hop, mm. it's kind of funny. Cause we have all, we always have these top five conversations and goat conversations and certain people may not be mentioned. But then if you bring that name up and say, so do you think Rakim could make it like could go today? And everybody'd be like, 
no doubt. Rakim is like, Rakim can come. Like, uh, so when I, when I think of, of what I think about generational, like great hip hop artists, you mentioned um, um, Cole of today. You mentioned Cole, you mentioned the Kendricks of the world. I think they would have been just fine if they were in 92. Like, yeah. I, just, I think they're that, that good. 100%. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, and no, and no diss to any <laughs> of the current artists. I won't even name names. But I'm right. not sure if certain folks um, that that we even elevate um, would be able to go and when it came to because I think that ninety like yeah, but they might be rapping team, different. They might they be might be. Different. They're like they're definitely different talent. They might and be I think rapping different. I think we're in a good because because dudes are gonna chase what makes money, you know. And nowadays exactly there's a right. theme and a You're genre exactly right. and a style that makes money, so You're dudes exactly are going right. to do that. You're so they might right. be doing something different, man. They're, I mean, yeah, they're just as exactly smart right. as them cats. Like Black I think Genius, so. I think yeah, so. it, it keeps going. And so, you know, even if I, it doesn't necessarily resonate with me, even if I don't like it, you know, I got to respect it. I mean, I, I do too. I'm not, I a, do too. I'm not a Drake fan. Drake is a tremendous artist. I look, I, I think, yeah. I, I like Drake. Yeah. I think, I think Drake, Drake is extremely And Drake can rap. Yeah, yeah. And Drake can I rap. If you're going to spit, he can rap, you know? And so, uh, you know, so who's your top at top five, not in order with right now, it's knowing that tough. next week it could be different. Yeah, Just don't, give me five. Grab the I, fire, man. Well, I will say this. I'm a, I'm a, I will say this. I think five names. I think nah, Hove nah, is nah, the greatest. No, Hove is the greatest of all time. I'll say that. Hove is the greatest of all time. Biggie is going in there. Um, my one of my personal favorites, Ghostface Killer. Um, top five, Ghost. Okay. <laughs> I think Ghost is amazing. Okay. Ooh. Big? Did I say big? I said big. Yep, you said uh, big. <laughs> I love Kim, Rakim. Okay, man. Uh, Four New Yorkers. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm East Coast heavy. I'm East okay. Coast heavy. Okay. Um, I don't know. Can Come we on, count? Out, can we count Outcast as a group? Nope. Gotta give me. Gotta can't give count Tribe as a group. Okay. Nope. nope. Uh, lyricist. Oh, did we say Nas? Nope. There you All go. Right, not. Okay. All right. So my my top five, and these are not in order. I'm gonna regret this. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Jay. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna put Black Thought. Uh, I'm gonna put uh Kendrick. Okay. Oh, Kendrick. I'm, I should have put Kendrick. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna put Big, and yeah. then based strictly on what I saw on Versus when he was there with DNA, I'm putting Snoop in there because this. Oh, brother, I thought you were gonna go Jada. Okay. Now I'm gonna go. I love Jada. Jada's amazing, but I'm okay. gonna put Snoop. Yeah. Just because this man has transcended era after era after era. Spitter, charisma, flow, style. So I had to put into like I. So I after that I was like, yeah, Snoop's my top five. You know, um, I love it. it hurts I me. Love to, it. You know, but that could change tomorrow, man. It could. I, I'm I'm glad to be living in this era, man. I'm glad to see hip hop go from when I had to carry crates and crates of records to DJ a party <laughs> to when I could show up at a laptop. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. Even though I'm still gonna, I'm you know like I know Bob would turn up the analog Bob Bito would turn up his nose <laughs> at at Serato, you know, and him and and the, these there's this great DJs, you know, him, uh, Rich Medina, these guys yep. use real vinyl and 45s and stuff, which is cool. I don't understand the whole 45 thing, but still. Um, but you know, Clark Kent uses Serato and actual turntables. So if I got 1200s, I feel like I'm still keeping it true to what's going on, even if it's Serato. I'm glad to be in this era. I'm glad to, man, man, I heard a dude, you know, there's so much talent out there, 
so many people rapping, you might come across them on a random tweet on a Thursday night, you know? So, you know, I'm happy to still be here. Jesse, I'm going to let you go on this. Jesse Washington, the undefeated, doing amazing work. I Came as a Shadow is the book that is, I mean, at this point now, being nominated and winning awards and on all the end of the year book list and all of that stuff. So congratulations to you on that. I, I did read also, you directed your first film. Oh, look, look, we got so much. We're going to have to do a part two. <laughs> but what, what, what do you want people to know in regards to what you're working on now? What, what's, the, what's, the big, what's the big thing coming up? Yeah, man, just putting in that work with the undefeated. I'm writing a lot about reparations. That movement is, is inching forward across the country where it was just a far-fetched idea when Ta-Nehisi really put it on the map a couple of years back. There are actual reparations being given out in some places now, so I'm working on that. Got another book that I'm working on with somebody that, that I'm going to come on your podcast and talk about. I don't want to put oh, it out there just yet. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, the 50th anniversary of hip hop is in 2023, man. So <sighs> I'm, I'm hoping to come heavy with that. Oh, with man, the undefeated. I can't wait. I can't hoping wait. Hoping to come heavy with that. That's what's uh, up. Theundefeated.com, baby. Raina Kelly. Yes, I work for three <laughs> black women at the undefeated. Three That's black amazing. women run the undefeated, yo. That's Shout to Raina Kelly. Monique Jones, Sharon Matthews, the boss lady. Oh, I love man. it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Cheats Movement. Nothing but the best, man. We're trying to give you the best we can uh, when it comes to, to culture and everything in between. So until next time, we'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. We've got to thank Jesse Washington for that amazing conversation. He's going to be back on. I guaranteed, I guarantee you, we'll have Jesse back on talking about all the things that are important in sports, in race, in culture, because he is doing an amazing job. Make sure you follow him uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, Undefeated. Follow the Undefeated. It's an amazing, amazing publication and they're doing just uh, just a, an amazing media outlet and they're doing amazing work so thanks again to jesse we're gonna wrap this podcast up i hope you enjoyed this one share it with a friend again make sure you go to the cheats movement podcast network.com subscribe follow the podcast family network it's coming in january of 2020 we're still on the hunt for everything audio engineers producers show content so Anything that has to do with the world of podcasting, please sign up for the Family Podcast Network. Holler at me. Holler at other members of the network. Um, and we're going to make it happen in 2022. So we're very excited about it. Ladies and gentlemen, It's a we're going to be back. We're going to be back sooner than later with another special interview. So I'm excited about what the Cheats Movement Podcast is doing. I know Gigi's going to be back. We've got a new super producer that's adding to our ranks. Uh, that'll be coming on soon, so we're very excited about everything. Hey, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, we see it. Yeah. Yo, yo, I'm trying to play living. All right. See you at the airport. <laughs>